Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Hello. <laughs> Shut your pie hole. Welcome to Big Demi Energy. I'm your host, Demi Burnett, and I'm so excited to have you joining my podcast. Some things you can expect from this podcast are some juicy gossip, some good advice, some fun, exciting guests, and a lot of other surprises. Make sure you subscribe to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Podcast One, wherever Wherever you you listen listen to your your podcast podcast at. Hey, welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast and uh, continue to support the people that support us. We appreciate it very much. Check out all my stuff at drdrew.com. I'll dispense with all of that and get to my guest, Ruthie Lindsay. You've heard her on this podcast series before. She has a new book, There I Am, The Journey from Hopelessness to Healing, a memoir. Released, it'll be released April 21st. It's available now in pre order on Amazon. You can go to ruthielindsay.com, R U T H I E L I N D S E Y. Podcast is the unspoken podcast. And uh, all her stuff's at, at Ruthie Lindsay. Hi, Ruthie. Hi, Dr. Drew. Thank you so much for having me again. I'm you, so appreciative. You bet. We've got always a lot to talk about. What's uh, the podcast about? Tell me about it. Well, it's called Unspoken with the idea that our secrets keep us sick. And when we speak out loud the things we feel shame and darkness about, um, it takes the power away. So we interview people that the world would know for um, their skill set. But we love to talk about like being human beings versus human doings. So we don't actually talk about what they do, which that's kind of what the world knows them for. We talk about their journey and their healing journeys. And we know them to be like really wholehearted people that are willing to talk about hard things and healing. So it's been a really sweet time. I've learned so much from everyone we've had on. And Ruthie, your own story is dramatic. I, what was the podcast she was on, Gary? Do we have that one? Do we know what number it was? Yeah, it's right there at the top of your sheet. I don't Ooh. offhand. Sorry. Hold on. I'll come <laughs> up with it. Episode 325, which everything's out from behind the paywall now, right? So we can all get the episode 325. But I'm going to ask you to, even though they can go there and listen to your story in detail, I'm going to ask you to recap your story a little bit again. Yeah. Um, so an elevator hitch <laughs> version of it is basically when I was a senior in high school, I was hit by an ambulance and he hit me on my car door going about 65 and I broke ribs, punctured my lungs, my lungs collapsed, spleen ruptured and I broke C1 and C2 and, um, was on life support in the hospital for a while and for about a month. And back then they used wire and spinal cord fusion. So they took bone from my hip and wrapped it with wire. And I was very lucky. I was super young. Um, I left there with a big old neck brace and half my head shaved and um, wore a neck brace for like six months and walked out of there. And I I just, you know, I kind of went back to life as normal. I Now I know I was very, very disassociated. I kind of talked about it like it was in third person. Like Mm. it was way harder for my family and friends, I thought, than it was for me. And I, um, looking at me, you'd never know. I have all my scars are hidden by my clothing and my hair. And I would like get sore if I danced too much, but I really didn't have any repercussions at the time. Um, and so I went to college. I graduated again, very disassociated. I didn't cry for like five or six years. I definitely was a compulsive overeater. I think I was just trying to stuff 
emotions because I just didn't know how to handle it. Did, let me ask you this. Did you, did you have a head yeah. injury as part of the uh, whole incident? I did. Yeah. So I just I wondered, did. maybe that was all just head injury stuff too. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're kind of yeah. not fully present after a head injury for a I mean, you're lucky if you come all the way back, right? And so right. – and, and it's easy then to not – connect with the emotions because you're biologically disconnected. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And I've since learned a lot more in the last year or two about some kind of early childhood trauma also. Ah. I think I was actually disassociated before the wreck even happened. What it happened? just kind of brought everything. This is new information. You know, yeah. There's a lot of new information that I learned when writing this book because it took me on a journey. <laughs> like you have to like go in so hardcore and kind of, I felt like I was re-traumatizing myself in sure. a lot of ways. Yeah, of course. You have to like relive everything and it's not like a hour long talk or a, you know, mm-hmm. a little Instagram post. It's like a two and a half year freaking process. And so it kicked my ass and it took me on a really dark path, but also it's kind of, it ended up taking me on this really beautiful healing journey that um, I'm excited to share about. But basically, I found out um, I had never heard of preverbal trauma. I didn't know that, you know, if your mom has a lot of trauma that happens when you're in the womb, then, you know, that can deeply affect you. Um, so my mom, um, we were very, very poor. And um, my mom had a lot, a lot of lot of trauma growing up. And I think having children kind of brought a lot to, um, ahead and she was incredibly depressed. Um, really, really depressed, um, when she was pregnant and before and after, and then after having me was even more depressed mm-hmm. and wasn't able to really, um, take care of me so much. And so, um, my, and my dad was amazing with this around two on, but he didn't do, he was like scared of baby. So mm-hmm. like he would just, you know, like love us from afar, but he wasn't hands-on at all with us um, as babies. And so, so, so there were some some attachment issues, some intergenerational attunement, in, yeah, yeah, intergenerational trauma transmission, yep, uh, yep. and abandonment. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she, you know, we've both done a ton of work, and I've just learned so much, and I'm so proud of who she is and the work that she's done. And I, you know we're all just doing <laughs> the best we can, you know, and you use the um, word, you but, use the word attunement, which is a, a high order yeah. concept, but how did you come to those kinds of concepts? Well, so the man that I have my podcast with, his name is Miles Adcox. He owns an emotional wellness place called OnSite. Uh-huh. Um, and basically you go there for a week. You're not allowed to tell anyone what you do for a living. You give up your phone Um and you're completely disconnected from the outside world. And basically, you do a ton, a ton, a ton of experimental therapy. Experiential. Um, and Exper- experiential. Experiential, yeah. excuse me. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so, which is just so powerful when you're not just talking about it. You're seeing it almost yeah. act out in yeah. front of you and what it does to your brain to be able to see that. And so, through... Um, the services at OnSite, I, I ended up checking myself back in when after writing this book because it just, or in you know finishing it up because it just did a lot to me and it was actually really interesting. So I hadn't gotten to this part of my story yet, but basically I started having crazy pain. Um, about seven years. Oh my god, I just realized that. Okay, what seven years? Seven year cycles. So I knew that I lived in my bed for seven years. 
Um, and then seven years ago, I had a complete nervous breakdown. Uh-huh. Um, but I didn't know until literally just now that my wreck happened. And it was seven years later that I started having crazy pain. Interesting, huh? And then this summer, this past summer, seven years, I'm not kidding, to the week, I stopped sleeping again. Hmm. Interesting. And that, I think it was, I was finishing up my book, a lot was going on. And I think, you know, I, the last time I had a complete nervous breakdown, this wasn't a complete nervous breakdown, but <laughs> I had stopped sleeping and I thought it all had to do with pain. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't understand that there were so many more layers going on and I didn't understand the emotional piece or the spiritual piece or any of those parts. So I just, you know, I've been able to just collect all these new pieces of the puzzle that were so important and so um, helpful in this healing journey of like coming back to myself and really doing really freaking hard mm. um, trauma work. And you know what's been so amazing, Dr. Drew, and that's what I was so excited to talk to you about, which again, I know I haven't shared the full um, story with your audience yet, but doing this trauma work, like I had hurt worse every year for about 15 years. And I just assumed that that was my story. And I had a lot of very, very, very limiting stories around pain and chronic pain. And this is just my life. I'm going to use it to help as many people as possible. And I'm going to make this pain purposeful. And there is joy and suffering and all these things, which it was very earnest and very, you know, it was coming from a really um, loving, earnest place. But I didn't believe that healing was, ultimately for me. I thought, you know, I could do emotional work, but I didn't think my physical pain could ever be any better. Um, you know, my neck looks a bit more like a freaking toaster oven than it does an actual <laughs> spinal cord. Um, and I have learned all of these incredible, um, incredible techniques of releasing early. I mean, through like somatic movement and through, um, like learning how to process early childhood trauma and all of the trauma that happened around my pain. And um, there's so many different tools that I'm excited to share about. But since then, I've been able to feel better. Um, and it's been so incredible. And through learning about, I didn't understand that like the limbic system, I knew that when we were triggered that our responses, you know, to trauma when they were super, super big and like hysterical that they were, always historical but I didn't I didn't understand that because our limbic system didn't know time that we could go back in and heal things as though they were happening right now right. and that piece has been so like it's crazy because of course it's like traumatizing when you feel like something that might have happened 30 years ago is literally happening to you at the, you know it feels like it's happening right now but the, that's so beautiful that our brains don't know time. So like you can literally go back in and recreate the most beautiful childhood and recreate these like scenes that were super traumatizing. You can go in and take care of yourself and heal yourself in those moments because your brain doesn't know the difference. And so I've just been learning so much. And the more of this work that I've been doing and I, you know, again, because I was so disassociated, I thought coming into my body would literally kill me. Mm. I thought that would, um, I could never be still or quiet because I thought stillness and quiet would just, I would be so overwhelmed with my pain that it would just overcome me. And the only way I've learned to be able to like actually 
heal myself is to go in. And that's the only way we can. And we're all so deserving of it. And it's so hard and it's so beautiful. And it's like the more of this work I've done, I feel like I'm just, it's a remembering and an unlearning more than anything else of remembering like how, what's so right with me and not what's wrong with me and what's like my inherent worth and value and goodness and deservedness and all these things that I had looked for outside of me to validate, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And another really beautiful thing I realized when I went to on site and couldn't tell anyone what I did for a living, I knew that I had been so identified with my pain story when I lived in my bed for literally seven years because of this pain that ended up starting. We haven't um, haven't told them that story yet, but yes. Yeah, Yeah. I know. So basically seven years after my um, car accident, I started having this debilitating pain, um, the shooting pain up my neck that left me like I would feel like I was going to pass out. And it, I remember when it first happened, I thought I had been electrocuted (laughs) or like struck by lightning or shot. I mean, I literally, it was so severe that I just didn't understand what had happened. And every time I go to see a doctor, they'd have me do films and the film would come back with this black spot and they'd be like, oh, that's the magnet in the machine interacting with the wire from your spinal cord fusion. It's a shadow. shadow. Yeah. 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 And they're like, everything around it looks fine. They started me on all these therapies, nothing helped. So then they moved to narcotics because I was just, I was in debilitating pain. And I ended up, when it was all said and done, I had been, so I'd been living my bed. Um, I, I mean, I stopped functioning. I stopped working. I um, just spent all of my time in bed eating my feelings, watching really, really crappy television and um, taking drugs and taking everything they recommended because I was in, I just didn't want to hurt all the time. So I took everything they suggested. And after about four and a half years, um, this one doctor was like, I can't tell you what's going on until I see what's under that spot. So basically this like $50 x-ray showed that one of the wires had broken and pierced my brain stone. Um, and yeah, and apparently I'm the only human that's ever had that. And you know, what's so interesting. I knew up to that, um, my interview with you that I shouldn't be walking. And that was a miracle that I was walking and, and you are the person. And I've learned more about it since that were like, no, you shouldn't be speaking or (laughs) have any brain functioning or alive. Like it was literally inside of my brain. Yeah. It it was, Um, it's the, it's the part of the brain that they, (laughs) I for, I don't want to get draconian about or really macabre, but it's it's a part that all vital function goes out if you if you right. really pierce that area. Exactly, like it's our reptile brain. It's like when I'm on it's, on it's the, life it's, support. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's what's keeping my organs and everything working. Um, so I, it's, um, I'm so lucky. <laughs> it's like yeah. such a miracle. Um, which thank God they didn't tell me at the time because I could not have handled that. Um, but you know, it was super scary. And they were like, if you don't have the surgery, you will be paralyzed. And so um, a few weeks later, my dad um, was coming to see me to tell me he'd sell our farm so I could have the surgery because insurance wouldn't cover it because it was pre-existing. And he ended up having a freak fall on his way to visit oh, me, literally God, halfway here. Yeah. And ended up um, passing a brain damage. Talk about trauma. Um, yeah, oh it was just, it was super, super traumatic. And I, you know, 
I mean, who knows how to handle that stuff. I no. just completely shut off and was just all I could do was read Harry Potter mm-hmm. <laughs> and hang out with my wizard world friends. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, life sucks. Get me the hell out of here. Um, and so it was just super scary and so hard. And it wasn't just a trauma for like me and my family. He was just so impactful for our community at large. Like, it was so beautiful because my godfather ended up setting up a, a medical fund in his honor wow. because he knew that his last wish was for me to have this surgery. Wow. And people out of the woodwork started coming in and being like, your dad bought my prom dress. Your dad paid my rent. Your dad sent me on my senior trip. Your dad got me in the college. I mean, just on and on and on because my dad had just, and we did not have much at all growing up, you know, but he had loved people so well and his love um, ended up ultimately taking care of me. And I, um, you know, was pursued by doctors because they just love being the first one mm-hmm. <laughs> to do something. They totally get off on that. So I ended up choosing the Mayo Clinic and they were like, we hope it'll help with your pain, but we're doing this because if we don't, you'll be paralyzed. It you know? your life, yeah. It, yeah, exactly. And so I went in and um, they took bone from my other hip, removed the piece of the wire that was in my brain film, but not all of that was in my spinal cord because it, it had grown in and it would have been way too dangerous. And then they refused it with titanium screws because wires break. And I, um, I mean, it was pain like I did. I would have told you I lived in a tin up to that point. And then I was like, just kidding. That was... Yeah, it was not. And, you know, because I'd been on such heavy narcotics up to that point, it was so hard for them to get it under control just because, yeah, my, you know, I was immune to, not immune, what's the word? You were, Um, well, you were tolerant. Tolerant, that's the word. Yeah, tolerant. I mean, absolutely. I was like on the highest level of fentanyl patch and, you know, just all the things. And so um, I walked out of there with a, the wire in my hand after about a week with my head shaved again and another big ass neck brace. And I ended up having really severe burning down my whole right side. And I was in just as much pain, but just a different type of pain. You know, I didn't have this shooting anymore. And I was, of course, so grateful to be walking, but I was in so much pain that I literally walked straight back to my bed. And, um, that, you know, at that point, it felt so depressing because I was like, that was my one chance. And now <laughs> I'm in just as much pain and this is the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And it, I felt even more hopeless and I was on even more drugs. And which, of course, makes you just a shell of a human, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. And and so um, about two and a half years later, um, no, yeah, it was around then. Um I was, I had been married. I had gotten married before the pain started and that was coming to an end. I caught C. diff in the hospital for Mm -hmm. something else. And just all this stuff came to a head and I completely broke. I just lost it. And I used to call it a breakdown. No, I call it my breakthrough, but it was, it was so scary. I had completely stopped living with, which makes you insane. I mean, like, completely insane and I couldn't function I had to move home um I felt shame on a level that's hard to even put into words like shame that what would my dad think like I just felt like I was a burden to everyone around me I couldn't take care of myself I couldn't think straight I was just 
I'd been, you know, living in my bed for seven years and I felt like a waste of space, which mm. now, of course, I know I love that girl so much because I was just, you know, surviving and doing the best I could. But it, it was a shame spiral like that's hard to even put into words, but it was so dark and I wanted nothing more than to fall asleep and never wake up because oh. that sounded like the greatest respite, you know, yeah. from what I was living in. My life felt like hell. Mm. And so my family was going to send me away to get help for people with chronic pain, dependent on narcotics. And honestly, that something about that, I think because I still, I cared so much about what other people thought of me. I grew up in the deep South where everything was about being sweet and pretty and kind and showing up. And, you know, my mom was a child of alcoholics. And so a lot was about showing up even though things could be really hard, you just show up and smile and kind of swallow the hard things. And so I had really, um, I really, really cared what others thought. And the idea of being sent away and everyone knowing about it, that like took me on a journey. And I literally the next day started weaning myself off of all the narcotics and whatever it took me. I mean, the motivation was <laughs> ridiculous, but also I, it was, the best decision I ever made was to get off of those drugs because, you know, they were doing nothing to serve me and narcotics for people in chronic pain. Oh, yeah, God. Yeah, and, yeah. The, and the pain, see, the, the reason there's a link between the pain and the trauma is in a part of the brain called the insula cortex. It, it's literally mm -hmm. the, the part of the brain that's responsible for feeling. Now, I don't yeah. mean sensory feeling like what's on your fingertips yeah. or, or somatic pain if you hit your hand with a hammer. It's interoceptive feeling, what's going on in our body. And it includes things like misery and yeah. you know all, all sorts of other feeling states that we're in that we call emotions, but they really are generated from our body. And the insular mm -hmm. cortex is going crazy. It doesn't regulate, doesn't record the way it should, let's say, when you've been traumatized. And so right. you have all this trauma. Oh my God, all the trauma. It's no wonder yeah. things are firing out. And then the and then the opiates make that part of the brain worse, makes it more right. intense. So yeah. I, I know my listeners are gonna want to know what what were these experiences? Give give us a couple. You know, what could what can I do? I'm sure people are thinking those yes. sorts of things. You speak spoken so glowingly about the transformations. Yeah. Give me give me a yeah. couple of examples of things you experienced and what that was like. That has helped me release pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I learned so one of the first things was this woman named Nicole Sachs taught me. Um, she studied under Dr. John Serno. I believe that's how you say his name. Yep. Um, and she taught me this practice called journal speak. And she talks about how, you know, your body, it's literally like it goes through what hurts and what hurts the worst. And so often when we have emotional trauma, we just swallow it and never learn how to process it. And so it stays stuck in the body. And I also had been studying about, you know, mind body, about um, the body keeps the score and all of yep. these things. That's, and uh, that's, guy that's, first, a, that's uh, oh shoot, I'm blanking on Dr. the guy. Dr. Vanderkolk. Vanderkolk, yeah. Dr. Dr. Vanderkolk, Vanderkolk, who really yeah. was, is, the, is the father of all this uh, yes. trauma work. But go ahead. Yep. Yes. So, you know, up to that point, if people have been like, you know, there's there's hope for you, like you can heal your pain. I wanted to literally probably punt them to the moon because I'm like, I'm the only one in the world. And I was kind of just had my stake in the land about that and didn't believe that my pain 
could get any better. And I think because doing this writing and writing this book, because it took me on such a dark turn, it was like, I was so desperate (laughs) that I'm like, it can't hurt. And so basically she taught me this thing called journal speak. And there's YouTube videos. Like you can like follow her on Instagram. You can, you know, she has a ton of YouTube videos and um, a podcast and all the things, but basically you write out early childhood or childhood present day and um, personality. You write down a list and you start with childhood. And basically you write down anything. Like I, I get really still before I start and like kind of, deep breaths and I literally I'll ask myself to just show me where it hurts I don't know why I just always say that to like my higher self or whatever and you write down anything that comes up and some of it will sound so silly to you like it doesn't matter like who cares you know when whoever ignored you on the playground but if it comes up you cared and it was something that you never processed it's also it's also it's a it's a I think of it as a stepping stone. You're, you're going down a yes. path and that path yes. is going to lead somewhere. Exactly. 100%. And some of the things you write down will feel really big and stuff that you've not wanted to think about and that you've just pushed away. But you're so right. Writing those little things that come up will help open you up to other things. So you write down anything that literally comes up, up to like 18. Um, and some of it, I mean, no one, and you don't have to like write out complete sentences. It, no one else is going to see this list. It's just for you. Like no one would know what Jamie playground means, but I do. Yeah. I know what that means. Yeah. It comes up, you know? Yeah. And then for, do you, um, let me ask you this. Do you, present, do, when you yeah. did this work, was there another person with you? No. So everyone can do this. Everyone can do this and yeah. everyone's so deserving of this work. Oh my God. And it's, so basically, so you make these three lists. Present day is anything from 18 into the, until today. And some will seem really, really big and really painful. And some will seem so silly. Like it could be something that frustrated you that day. Like I want to punt the electrician that didn't show up today. And I'm so frustrated, you know, yeah. just whatever comes up, you write it down. And then personality are basically, you start thinking through all the masks you've worn to feel okay in the world. Like for me, I put smiles even when I'm hurting. Mm. Um, codependent, you know, feeling like I needed to take care of other people to feel okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, um, you know, you can Google like to have kind of references of things that might feel good, but like do good. Like I wanted to be so good and I needed to be good to feel like I was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, like be moral, be good. And so then basically all you do is you take out a sheet of paper or you open up your computer and you set an alarm for 20 minutes and you look at your list and you decide what you feel like you need to start working on that day. What comes up and feels like the thing that, that you need to kind of go through that day. And I will start one place and it will end me up somewhere totally, completely different. And, you know, there's things that like there were times I personally do it on my computer and I close my eyes and I'm probably on the wrong keys. It doesn't matter. You're never going to look at it again. It's just a way to process, to get this out, 
to, you know, give yourself a chance to feel the emotions. Like I wasn't allowed in my home to feel rage or anger or, you know, it was like, just smile, you know, everything's okay. You're so lucky. And so I swallowed all of those emotions. And there were times when I was doing present day stuff where I would call people names that like sweet little Ruthie would have never said. I'm like, I cannot believe I just called someone. His name, but my body felt it. So, so I, I want to I make sure because I'm getting a little confused on how the exercise yeah. works. So it, it's, yeah, so it's present day, which is 18 and over. Yes, 18 till today. Yep, and so then that's it's, like and it's chi- childhood. Yep, so childhood, present day, and personality. And what's and you and wait, don't wait, have to do and the personality one I didn't get. What's that one? So that's basically all the masks you've worn. It's all okay Got in the it. world. Got it. Yeah, and and, and, basic, then, and also. Yeah. Nicole has way more detailed. Like I'm giving you a very cliff notes and I, it's not my thing. This is just, so she has like very detailed things online where you can learn from this, but it's such a helpful tool to process trapped emotions in your body. And, um, do, and what so you do is you just, you just sit down and then emote like the connect to the feelings associated with those memories. You basically, you literally just write. It's like you just let yourself, write it out and for only 20 minutes and your body is so wise because it was created to heal. So it's going to take you through where you need to go. Like you might start one place and end up totally in a different place and things will come up that you didn't even write down that you didn't remember. But when you're allowing yourself to start that process, emotions start rising. And there are times that I was screaming. There were times that I was cussing people out loud. There were times I was just weeping and it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard work, but we also are, it's like, that's, that's the work, right? Yeah. And the more we do it, so basically 20 minutes, the alarm goes off, you stop and you select all delete. Hmm. If you're writing on paper, you tear it up because this is a process. Like if you're sitting there processing about your children or processing, if this is not for anyone to read, you're going to get out every feeling you might say, I hate my husband. And that's just a feeling. It's not necessarily true. It's right. just at the moment you felt that and you need to give yourself a space to process that feeling. I want to punt my children to the moon. They're making me freaking crazy. I wish I never had kids. Do you ultimately believe that? No. But in that moment you felt it and then you felt shame about it. So you swallowed it and your body holds on to those emotions. Right. So this, as soon as 20 minutes is up, you select all delete if it's on paper tear that shit up like it's (laughs) not to be seen and it's not necessarily it's not ultimately true but your body believes that it is and so then whoever and this is something that feels really important to me when you're done do a 10 20 however long that goes if you only have five minutes that's okay too do a love meditation on all the people that you lost your mind on that morning. Mm. Like I will sit and I'll ground myself and I connect. I mean, I'm a little woo woo, but I'll connect myself to mother earth and father sky and I'll cover myself. I'll visualize myself covered in just ultimate universal love. And then I'll picture the person in front of me that I literally lost my mind on (laughs) and I'll send them all of this love that I feel covered it like it gets really cheesy for me but i'm visual you do whatever feels good to you but i will imagine like heart bubbles literally coming out of my heart and going into that person and sometimes i'll see like almost like a cord connecting me to that person and i'll like go through and i'll literally like 
visualize myself like cutting that cord and I'll hand back people their pain or I'll take back my pain from people that I put it on that Mm. wasn't theirs to carry. Mm -hmm. And these like visualization exercises are so, so powerful and so loving. And like the more that I've done that, I'm telling you, it's been the craziest thing. Like this pain that has hurt me worse for, you know, every year for 15 years, I'm feeling relief. And I know that it's only going to get better and better. And again, like I said earlier, like my neck is, (laughs) it's like a skyscraper. It's crazy. But like, if I can have pain relief, like I, I know that this is for all of us because so often so much of our trauma and so much of our physical pain is representations of our trauma that's physically manifesting because it's locked inside of our bodies. But like, again, with that whole thing I was saying earlier, the limbic, when I go in and let myself process those traumas in the moment, I'm allowing myself to release and to process it and to get it out and get out those emotions that have been stuck inside of my body. And it's so, it's so powerful and so beautiful. And I've also, another tool is like somatic. I've been going to a counselor that does somatic counseling, which I can't give all the specifics. You can explain that better than me, but before a disassociated, you know, because I think most of us are walking around disassociated because everyone has trauma and everyone has pain. And until you learn how to process it, we disassociate to survive, you know? Right. It's an adaptive response. In my experience, my own stuff, I find I can't, I can't do the stuff you're describing by myself. I have to have another person to reflect and to hold, like literally, like, I don't mean mean physically hold, but a holding emotional environment. Did you need any of that at the beginning? Oh, I've done all the things. Like I, <laughs> I am. So, I, this is just an extra tool. I go to counseling. I do um, talk therapy. I've yeah. done on-site experiential therapy. I'm a believer in all of it. But why this one is so beautiful is because a lot of people can't afford. I, out of my right. privilege, I've been able to do a lot of the things that other people don't have the funds and, and to I would, do. And, and I'm and very I would, aware. And I would sort of. Put th- what you're describing, and, and I like it's very appealing what you're talking about. But I would put it yeah. more under a spiritual practice. Would that be a more? Is that a good way to frame um, it? I don't know necessarily. I mean, maybe I think it's under the umbrella of it feels more than just spiritual to me because it's it's represented for myself of being an emotional release, a physical release. I think it's all of the above. It's it's done so much more than like help spiritually heal me. Has it brought that aspect? 100%. 100%. It's helped with that. But I think, you know, it's it's just, it's another tool and everything's not going to work for everyone. But for me, it's been one of the most impactful ones for me. Um, but then as I, you know, when things come up, I bring those things to my counselor. I bring those things to my community of people to help process with me and help, you know, hold me when I feel just overwhelmed. Um, I think it's so, like we heal in, I believe fully that we heal in community. Um, yeah, yeah, and we're not yeah. meant to do this by ourselves. Right. This is just one tool, yes, <laughs> you yes. know, like that's what I, I would say too. I, I, yeah. 100%. I could not have done this on my own. Um, mm-hmm. I've had so much love and support and, 
you know, my inner circle of friends to walk through this with me and to process with me. But then ultimately they also can't fix me. Like I have to do the work and then they, we get to come alongside of each other and be mirrors of love and healing and truth. When I, when I forget and I get to be that for others when they forget. And I think the more of this work I've done, I think I also grew up in the South where like, deep Christian culture where I was told I was this broken, depraved wretch. <laughs> and I <laughs> which, which, by the way, it. By, by the way, I think these days it, it's not so bad for people to think that. If, you know what I mean? We've gone so far the other way. Well, it, I, I get well, you got a little think, too big a dose of it. Well, I think I believe that broken, shitty things happen to us. This is my own personal belief system. I think we all are inherently good. We were born good and pure and worthy and we have this inherent worth. But I also believe that we all have light and shadow mm-hmm. inside of us. Like mm-hmm. I have a lot of darkness inside of me. And for me to just try to shame myself when I feel those things right. and push it down no, no, and be like, that's help. bad. It doesn't help. No. And now when I see jealousy or fear or all those those feelings come up that I was taught are bad, never have those. I I almost it's almost feels like a dance. Like I will be like, Oh, I have conversations and I'll be like, Oh, hi, jealousy. I see you. And I know you think there's not enough for all of us, but there is. And we, you know, we're going to let love drive here. You are love. There's an, the universe wants good and beautiful things for you. And I know all this sounds super woo woo and everything doesn't work for everyone, but this is just the things, the tools that have been super loving and helpful for me. Um, and, you know, I think I really believe like the more of this work, like I think growing up the way I did, it's like, go just be a servant and go help others. And a lot of people forget themselves. And I was definitely that way. Like when I right. stopped living in my bed, I just jumped to like, I'm going to help as many people as I can. I'm going to make this pain purposeful, but I never did the healing work on myself. And I kind of needed to be needed to feel okay, you know, and that's actually not loving ultimately. And the more, I think the most loving thing that I can do in this world is to heal myself and then to go out with that full place and be a mirror of the healing that I believe is for everyone. And, you know, I am, when I come from a more full place, I have so much more to give and to love and to, you know, to yeah, serve. I, I, and it's, it's not selfish to do this work. It's actually so, so loving. And again, it's like the more you do it, you start remembering what's so right with you and not what's wrong with you. Cause we all have these limiting stories and a lot of it might've come from childhood and a lot of shame stories and, or from the church, or from the patriarchy, or from, you know, culture telling us all these, like, things about us. And I think the more of this I've done, it's helped me come back to, like, way more compassionate, tender, loving place for myself when I used to be so mean to myself and Mm. so ugly. Like, I would talk to myself ways I would never talk to another human, ever. Um, and that, the more of that that I'm doing for myself, the more loving, like truly loving, I feel like I'm able to move in the world. Um, how how and it's long? Just been beautiful. Your practice of the uh, 
18 to now, childhood and personality. Yeah. How long does that take yeah. to, to do? You said 20 minutes of emotion, yeah. of sort of feeling about it. Yeah. Is it something you just quickly I, jot down a few ideas and then sit and think about? Or how, how's that I, you start with making the master list and you'll add to it and you can scratch things off as you want. And you only have to make that list once. Um, and then in the morning, I like to do it in the morning time, but you can do it whenever is right for you. Um, you can do it after your kids go to bed or, you know, lunch break, whatever. But it's really good to try to do it once a day when you're first starting out. Um, and you just, you look at your list and, you know, after about a week or two into it, I didn't even look at my list anymore. I would just open my computer because I kind of knew where I wanted to start. Mm. But if you need that as a reference, that's great. You have it. And I, when I first started for the first two to three months, I did it. I tried to do it every day um, for 20 minutes. And I saw the most dramatic pain relief when I did that. And then, you know, I now I do it way more sporadic. Or if I start like right now in this quarantine, I'm going to do it every day mm. because there's a lot of emotions. It's triggering for me right. to have to isolate when right. I lived in my bed for seven years and right. I live alone. And this is hard. Yes. And this has brought up like my sweet little... My sweet little nervous system has struggled, yes, you know? And yes. so right now I'm doing this um, and it's, it feels good. It's hard and it feels good. I need to have a place to process how I'm feeling right now and yeah, what this it, is bringing and do, up. And do go out and take some walks and things and exercise and stuff oh, too. I mean, don't, don't leave God. that out. One, that's, yeah. Honestly, being in mother nature has been one of the off, like most powerful tools for me that's another one that like i've added to my toolkit and i used to not do anything that i thought would make my pain worse so i did very little and now like going on long walks in the woods with no music and just being in nature and quiet that has been one of the most grounding beautiful loving practice like especially right now i mean always but in a time like this i think mother nature is the most healing beautiful gift and, ever. And so the this mass let's dig in a little more of that master list. Is that something that you should be yeah. like working on for a long period of time? Every, you know, everything that bothers you, everything that's left over. What, what's, I think what's it's on just a list? way to get started. I think it's just a place to get started. And as you start doing it, like literally I haven't looked at my list in probably eight months. But is it the kind of thing because that you now, expanded for a couple of months? Like every day you'd add some stuff to it kind of thing? Um, not necessarily. I literally looked at it. I mean, but someone might need to, and that's right. great. And, and then but again, me, and, and the personality list is the, the things you present to the world. I'm, I'm trying to get the, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, that one is, and Nicole can explain it maybe better than me. Cause I feel like I'm not doing a great job. It's basically, you can call it your mask. Mm-hmm. It's like, there's so many ways that we present in the world to feel safe and to feel okay. And to feel like we can, it's like, survival you know like I learned when I was probably in second grade if you like smile really big people will like you so like I remember I would share my story my my best friend Jed heard me share it and he was like hey babe you don't need to smile when you're talking about your daddy's death Mm -hmm. and I didn't even know I was doing it Mm -hmm. but that was like a way for me to feel like okay I don't want to make people uncomfortable so I'm going to smile really big at them and that hopefully they'll like me. And it was a lot of it was subconscious. It was just a survival way, you know? And so then you can talk about that. Like why kind of tracing it back? Why did we do that? What made me kind of come up with that? And am I okay without like, if people 
do feel uncomfortable. That's okay. Like we don't have to show that we're okay all the time. That's okay. <laughs> you know, that's, that's actually loving. We don't need to present like we can just be who we are, where we are. And that present place is, it's loving. It gives other people freedom to feel like they can show up exactly as they are and, you know, not feeling okay. Um, that's important. Um, for me, like my list was a big one. Like I felt like something was wrong with me and I needed to be good. I really need to be good. So I would do all these things. Like I got married 10 months after I started dating my first boyfriend because of growing up in the church, I had so much shame around sex and we had sex and I felt so much shame about it. So we got married because I wanted to be good. And I thought that that was not good, (laughs) which, oh my God, bless me. (laughs) Sweet idiots, you know, but like, I believe that I really truly believe that. So just processing those things. Um, And again, Nicole Sachs, S-A-C-H-S, she can explain it. I I feel like, I don't know that I've done a great job at that, but it's just, it's been another beautiful tool for me. And, and I think another thing that's been so helpful in somatic therapy is it gives you, our bodies are always talking to us. And as a, you know, disassociated person, much of my life, I had completely cut myself off from my body. Well, let, let's um, let's kind of t- d- dig in a little bit on that too, because because you yeah. use the term dissociation liberally, yeah. and let's make sure people understand what that is. There's there's different yeah. kinds of dissociation. Dissociation is emotional yeah. dissociation, which is you're sort of pulling away emotionally, and that can be a defense, like you just mm-hmm. you move away from the emotion and you don't feel it. Or yeah. it can affect your cognition where you actually feel like you're looking at the world through a tunnel or floating above it. Yeah. It can get very severe. But there is something called somatoform dissociation, which is dissociation from the body. When the body yeah. becomes a source of disorganized information, we cut off from it, at least in any mm-hmm. kind of organized way. And then what comes in, again, through the insular cortex, may be just pain or misery. Misery, yeah. really. Yeah. Does, that, does that all make sense? That makes complete sense to me, and I, I think I was all three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Usually, usually there is some component of each. Yeah, you know. Um, and I think you know, for so long, another story I had was my body hated me because I thought that was the source of all my pain, and so I would talk like that, like, "Ugh, my body hates me so much," and then I, in turn, really hated my body and talked really ugly about my body and treated it ugly and didn't feed her beautiful, like good foods, didn't move her, didn't um, listen at all um, because I was so cut off. And so somatic therapy is way, there are ways to like slowly start coming back in to my body and learn to start listening to her. Cause like they have, our bodies are so wise and have all of these incredible messages for us. And now I I believe that my body has been loving me this whole time. And literally, I believe all my pain was just ultimately these like invitations to call me back home to myself to actually heal. Um, And it was like really, really loving. And so now, like I I try to have these conversations like, okay, um, neck, (laughs) thank you so much for trying to protect me. Like I hear you. Um, you're, you know, 
because I'll be in pain or whatever. And I'll, I'll have these conversations and I start trying to listen. Like, what are you trying to tell me? And also we're safe now. Like you can release because we're safe. And thank you so much for trying to protect me instead of like hating, hating it, you know, right. um, and trying to speak really lovingly. I know all this sounds you, you, really weird. You, you use the term lovingly also very liberally. What, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, I think, again, you know, I hated it. And I think sending love um, is just that's ultimately like the largest way that I can like heal and covering my body, covering my pain in love. And, uh, you know, I've said it a lot about this work that it's, it's loving. It's, it's loving ourselves the way that we want to be loved. You're doing it. You get to do that for yourself. Um, like some of the work I do, um, I, I'm not in a relationship and in times like this, I want to be held <laughs> so badly because it, this is traumatizing, you know? And, but what I recently learned from my friend, Dr. Hillary McBride is our bodies don't know the difference in our hands and someone else's hands. Hmm. So like I can go through my body and hug her and like, you can't see me right now, but I'm crossing my arms across my chest and like, I'll use I am statements and I'll say, cause I'll say to myself the things that I would want a partner to say to me, like, I'm so safe. I'm are, are, you, are you in a relationship now? I'm not. So I get to do this for myself. Is, is um, it, I imagine it changes your interpersonal life landscape too, quite a bit, all this. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but like how beautiful that we can do that for ourselves. Like would someone want to be in a partnership and not be stuck in a home by themselves? Right, right. Of course, but that's not my story. So I get to go in and do that. And like, I'll touch my face really gently and tenderly and just say really loving, kind, gentle, tender, compassionate so things. Care, care and, and compassion. I get it. Care and compassion. So, yes. Yeah. It's so, it's really so dear. And listen, I, I'm human and there are moments that I can spiral and be in a shame story like the freaking best of them or, you know, be cut off in traffic and want to like punt someone to the freaking moon. Right. But the more I do this work, the quicker I am to come back to my truer wholehearted self, you know, and come back into my body and ground and all of those things. And it's and just a, it's a journey. And Ruthie, is all that chronicled in There I Am? Well, that's what's so interesting, Dr. Drew. Um, there is definitely a good portion of that, but so much of this happened after I finished it. Wow. Um, I, like, I learned about the pre-verbal trauma after I finished it. I didn't know about that. Interesting. Um, so, good God, I can't even consider right now writing a second book. Yeah, <laughs> it's so freaking hard. But who knows? Like, you know, I'm creating, I, I definitely... Um, and talking about it, I, I'm going to be creating content um, for people. And, you know, I, I know that this is like the next step. And that was really hard when I had to be like, wow, I have so many more pieces now. But the book is done and feeling like, whoa, I didn't know and I didn't talk about this. But, you know, that's like a part of it. Like I felt comfort from like Glennon Doyle, who this New York Times bestseller book where it was about 
getting back into a marriage and it was a love story. And literally two months before the book came out, she left him and ended yeah. up with Abby Wambach. Like oh that's just life keeps happening. And, and that is a next chapter of my book, you know, but I do go into so much. I talk a lot about, um, journal speak at the end. I talk about meditation. I talk about, I talk about on site. There is a lot of it in the book, but okay. there is, there are pieces about the early childhood stuff that I didn't know um, that aren't in there. It'll be in the next book, but this one is There I Am, The the Journey from Hopelessness to Healing, uh, available at Amazon, and then, of course, the Unspoken Podcast, and check out everything Ruthie at at Ruthie Lindsay. uh, Yeah, that's my Instagram. Yeah, and I I have on my website, I have, um, I'm creating... um, an email list where I'll be sending out these things that I'm learning right now and practices that I do. And, you know, with, with this crazy time, like there's not going to be a book tour, but we're going to be doing like a virtual book tour. So you can follow along with all of that on my website. And I'm going to be creating content for like book clubs and, you know, maybe Skyping into book clubs and things like that. And just, we're rethinking how to do this whole, <laughs> this whole time, you know, this whole season. It's just, it's just crazy. So we're just kind of rethinking how to um, best get this out into cool. everyone's hands. Well, Ruthie, thank you so much for joining us again. The last episode again was three twenty-five. If you want to hear the all the gory details of oh my goodness, Ruthie's story, it comes back to me. I get <laughs> yeah. traumatized when I hear you even recapping it. Oh, <laughs> but uh, it's it's a pleasure to see you and to see your growth and to hear your story. And I'm so glad you're sharing thank with other you. people. And uh, we'll see you, you again so soon. Okay. Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm so appreciative. You got it. Ruthie Lindsay, everybody. We'll see you next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. 